Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. My takeaway from today was mind-blowing for me. When Dr. Turner told me that happiness hormones in our body, so oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, relaxin, what happens when our body is flooded with those types of happy hormones, it actually can reduce cancer. And then she went on to tell me that there was a study where they took a Petri dish, had breast cancer cells in it, and they dripped oxytocin into the Petri dishes and the breast cancer cells started to diminish. Wow, if that's not a good enough reason to figure out how to get happy, be around joyful people, be around people who encourage you, I don't know what is. So flood your body with happy hormones by being around happy people. I know that, you know, you mentioned, I think in one of the docu-series, I'm trying to remember which one, about loneliness kills mm -hmm. and how important it is to, you know, reach out to that network. So what happens if, you know, you have somebody who's maybe naturally introverted and they don't have much of a network? Well, it's interesting that that term introverted because, and also the term loneliness, we should define them. Um, someone who's introverted and doesn't like to be around people may not feel lonely, right? So there's scores and scores of scientific studies that show that loneliness does kill. Loneliness leads to a shorter life across all causes of mortality. And for cancer patients in particular, it can lead to shortening your life by half, right? So once you're diagnosed, if you self-identify as lonely, if you're in that scientific study and you report like, I'm very lonely, like a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, those people have been shown statistically to die, um, you know, twice as soon. That's what we mean when we say loneliness kills. But it really, these are self-reports. These are people who are mm -hmm. rating their loneliness on a scale of one to 10. So it really is about your own perception of, do you feel lonely? I know some introverted people in my life who are happy as clams, not seeing people often. They are alone, but they don't feel lonely. So I think it's important scientifically for us to make that distinction because there's nothing wrong with being alone if you don't feel lonely when you're alone. If you feel content, right. if you feel, like I said, happy as a clam, then that's actually not going to be detrimental to your health. Because if you were to take that zero to 10 scale, you probably wouldn't say that you feel lonely, mm -hmm. right? You would say, I feel content or no, I don't feel lonely. I feel at peace. So I, I think uh, it's important for people to understand, you know, how do you feel to put, you know, it's not about the number of friends, you know, you don't need a hundred friends to get well. You could have just one friend or just one pet. And that could be enough for you to self-report as, wow, I don't feel lonely. I feel loved. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I would say for introverted people, if you're cool being introverted, then great. Your health is probably on track. And if being introverted and maybe something like social anxiety is keeping you in a place where you do feel lonely, then that is something to address. And there's so many ways that radical remission survivors have worked on that. 
So I, you know, I've interviewed people who started off feeling very shy and, and very uncomfortable asking for help or asking for companionship or someone to just go on a walk with them. And similar to what you were saying earlier about this people-pleasing nature that you um, identified and, and tried to work with, many radical Christian survivors that I've studied have this move from not having a history of asking for help and support feeling very uncomfortable asking for help and support, and then having to push themselves through that edge of discomfort to kind of forcing themselves to ask for help and support, and then realizing, oh my God, I'm so glad I did that. This is wonderful. It's wonderful to have the flowers. It's wonderful to have the thoughts and prayers. It's wonderful to have the food. Um, So I would say to any introverts who do feel lonely, what I would recommend if you want to act like Radical Mission Survivors Act is to do what they do, which is to push yourself through that fear and that worry and that discomfort and ask for support and help. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking to just get rid of that loneliness feel, then part of what you can ask for people is, hey, does anybody want to just go for a, a gentle walk with me every Monday, Wednesday and Friday morning? I would love a mm-hmm. walking partner. Or you could sign up for a photography class, or you could sign up for a healthy cooking class. Any sort of classes where you're going to meet the person next to you, and you're going to be encouraged to, you know, work on a cooking project with them, or, you know, um, talk to them in some way. I, I wouldn't recommend online classes where, you know, you're on mute the whole time and you're just taking in information because those are valid for certain things, but they're not going to help the loneliness factor. That's really interesting. That was going to be my next question. Social media, does that, have you, in in any of your research, have you looked at that? Can that make people feel more connected and less lonely? It really can. You know, I mean, social media is sort of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, seeing other people get all these likes and you don't, or seeing their beautiful pictures of their healthy life can be really hard for a cancer patient if if they don't feel like they have the finances to go on those vacations or they don't feel beautiful. So, you know, as now, now I'm putting my counseling hat back on. If I were, if I were counseling a cancer patient, I would say, see how it feels to you because going on social media can feel very triggering. If you're just seeing all these happy, shiny, beautiful, healthy people. And if that's triggering for you, you may want to take a break from it, or you may want to limit the ways in which you get on. Right? So one of the cancer survivors that's featured in the docu-series in the last episode, the social support episode, is a little baby boy who was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma at the age of 11 months, oh. right? Just like heartbreaking. heartbreaking. And his parents, um, they were doing chemo, um, which is what was recommended, but they also wanted to give him like green juice and supplements and this, you know, they had to like squirt it down a feeding tube because how do you get an 11 month old to take a green juice, right? So right. they wanted to do everything they could to save their their boy and they needed money. And they also felt yeah. very alone and they they just, they wanted some support. So they started a Facebook page for specifically called Fighting for Ryder. His, the boy's name was Ryder. And they were blown away. They just started posting some pictures of this, you know, at this point, one-year-old baby with a feeding tube. And they said, can anyone chip in even $10 for these supplements that we're trying to get down the feeding tube? They were blown away by the support they got globally. So for them, they're so grateful that they put their story up on on Facebook. Uh, And this was, by the way, this was, you know, eight or nine years ago because their baby boy is cancer-free and nine years old and healthy and skiing. So there's a happy ending there, but... 
um, as you'll see in the docuseries episode, that Facebook page was crucial for their social support, for them to feel, because they were also getting a lot of pushback from their doctors of, well, why are you doing all these supplements? And, um, you know, I don't think you should be doing this. You might be harming your child. And so by putting the story up on Facebook, they also heard from people around the world who were like, you know what? I combined chemo and those supplements for my child and it actually seemed to make a difference. So I support what you're doing. So they got, you know, not just financial support. They got a lot of social support from that use of social media. So I would say you have to figure out where it's going to be beneficial for you. Right. Yeah. And, and if you play the comparison game, social media is probably not for you in this season. But if you're looking for help and support and happy stories, it, it could be. It sounds like it worked for them. It worked for them. And you can also really limit who you follow, right? If you're mm -hmm. in this season of healing and rebalancing, this might be a great time to mute or hide, uh, you know the people who are triggering you so that you just, you can check in on them in six months. And this might be a time to follow cancer thrivers who are going through what you're going through, but in a way that inspires you or cancer thrivers who are five years out and give you hope or, you know, follow radical remission on Instagram for, you know, our healing stories. There, there are ways that you can limit the things that are triggering, right? Hide those accounts, mute them. Right. You don't have to unfollow them. They don't need to know you unfollowed them. There's all these buttons you can choose so that you don't see them, but they don't know you're not, you know. Involved. I've used them many times yeah, during my so cancer journey. <laughs> that's a great, this is a great time to really curate your feed and make sure that it's giving you what you need. And then, you know, limiting it, right? 20 minutes a day, try just that and see how it works. Right. I like that curating your feed because um, during my season, I had um, one girlfriend in particular, Kim, and she said, I'm going to call you every day and tell you a funny story. And I still have this voicemail I say where she accidentally flushed down the toilet at Nordstrom, a brand new pair of sunglasses. And anytime I need a laugh, I go back and I listen to that voicemail. So yes, curate your feed, curate your life, be around those happy funny people who encourage you. And which brings me to a question. When I was getting my health science degree, one of the books that was required reading was Norman Cousins' Anatomy of an Illness. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, how do you use humor in healing? Great book. And it's really impacted me. I was probably 19 when I read it. What has your research dis discovered about joy and happiness and laughter and healing? Well, certainly one of the 10 common healing factors among radical mission survivors is increasing positive emotions. And another common healing factor is releasing suppressed emotions. And I've had different interviewers ask me, well, aren't those, this, isn't that the same thing? Isn't it the same thing to release suppressed emotions and then as a result, aren't you going to increase your positive emotions? It's a valid question. But my response is, first, that's not how radical remission survivors describe it. And my job as a, as a researcher is to simply take the data that's presenting itself to me and write it down. So one, they don't describe it that way. And two, the research doesn't support it as the same thing, right? So do, taking steps to release stress, taking steps to release trauma. These are um, activities that can often be stressful, right? Like asking asking your boss for to go part time. That's gonna it's gonna be stressful to get yourself to do this, right? Working with a therapist to relive the trauma from your childhood when you were abused. That's not easy work. That's not gonna lead to a a joyful day that day. 
But mm-hmm. over months of dedicated time spent on releasing these uh, these suppressed emotions, whether it's stress, grief, fear, abuse, trauma, it is going to pay off in your immune system. And we have plenty of studies talking about the benefits of stress reduction and trauma release. On the other hand, even while you're going through those months of trauma therapy, you can do something for five minutes a day that gets you belly laughing, that gets you forgetting about the trauma that you're working through with your therapist. And that is a completely different thing. Right? That's listening to your friend's voicemail and chuckling and realizing, wow, I just took a break mm-hmm. from the things that are depressing me in life or the, the trauma that I'm working through or the fact that my, my blood counts aren't where my doctor wants them to be. And I listened to this voicemail and I laughed and I smiled and that felt good. And yes. that's where increasing positive emotions really is a separate healing yes. factor from releasing suppressed emotions. So, um, you know, we know from radical emotion survivors that it is a common healing factor, this this idea of finding at least five minutes a day of happiness, joy, or peace. Um, you know, I, I called it positive emotions because some people describe it as, I just needed to find a way to bring a feeling of peace into my life. And so I, I developed this, you know, uh, I I committed to gardening every day for 10 minutes because it just made me feel peaceful. Other people went, you know, binged comedy shows and just wanted laughter in their life. Other people wanted love. And so they got a puppy. So, you know, when I stepped back from the data, I was like, okay, they're all doing different things to increase these positive oxytocin producing emotions. And that's you know, getting back to your question, you know, what does the research say about mm-hmm. feeling love and happiness and joy? There is so much research about the benefits of oxytocin, serotonin, relaxin, and endorphins. So, like, if you think about it, it's it's all the, the ins. Serotonin, right. relaxin, endorphins, and oxytocin. And I would also say probably dopamine, which is not an in, but an ene. Um, but these sort of happy hormones are healing mm-hmm. hormones. So if, if your listeners can understand that anything that makes you feel happy is also healing you, that's not a platitude. That is scientific fact. And that is because... Oh, I love this so much. So anything that makes you happy is healing is you. Is necessarily healing. And, and science can back that up. That well, is... It's science. It's, science, it's, a, it's right. an accepted fact. And that's because right. we have these pharmacists in the middle of our brains, right? You have like probably the most incredible pharmacist living inside of you. And it's mm-hmm. your pituitary gland and your pineal gland. They're in the center of your brain. They're the master glands of your body. And they can make anything they want. But they won't make it unless there's a demand for it. And so it's it's like a response thing, right? So if you see something that you perceive as scary, it's going to shoot you with cortisol and epinephrine and adrenaline and things to get you to run. And if you right. perceive something, maybe it's a puppy, maybe it's listening to a voicemail from your friend that makes you laugh. If you put yourself in, ex- in, ex- in an experience that you perceive as joyful, funny, loving, w- w- you can name any positive emotion. Your inner pharmacy, that pineal gland and that pituitary gland will respond by, by flooding your bloodstream with oxytocin, relaxin, endorphins, and serotonin. And those hormones have been shown in studies to reduce the spread and the growth speed of cancer cells, right? So they literally drip oxytocin in little petri cells of breast cancer cells, and the breast cancer cells 
diminish and go away. So oxytocin, serotonin, relaxin, endorphins, these are natural cancer-fighting agents that your body can make. And if you make more of them, your body will fight cancer more. And we don't have to even use the, those words fight if we don't want to. Certainly radical remission survivors tend to not use the word fight cancer. Right. Um, but your body has uh, a cancer, I won't say fighting, what should I say? Cancer removing mechanisms. And those are, um, you know, what doctors have labeled NK cells, which stands for natural killer cells. Again, that's the warfare terminology. Um, the Japanese man who I mentioned before who healed, he doesn't call them natural killer cells. He calls them natural hugging cells because under a microscope, they actually surround a cancer cell and basically squeeze it until it pops, which it's supposed to do. Apoptosis, you know, that word pop in apoptosis, let that remind you that apoptosis means cell death, which is something cells are supposed to do. Cells are supposed to die and be recycled. And one of the hallmark of cancer cells is they forget to die. They forget to pop and recycle themselves. And so these natural killer cells, or we can call them natural hugging cells, when those grow in number and, and also become more active in our bodies, they go around and they find cancer cells and they basically hug them until they pop. And things like laughter, joy, peace, feeling loved, increase your natural killer cells through these mediators of these hormones, this oxytocin, serotonin, relaxin, and endorphins. So, you know, there's a pathway here. You put yourself in a situation where you feel a positive emotion, joy, laughter, love, peace. That leads to these master glands spewing out the healing hormones, serotonin, relaxin, endorphins, etc. And then these hormones go to your immune cells, your natural killer cells, your white blood cells, your we can call them natural hugging cells if you want. And they say, here's get to work you know, multiply, go out, go, go forth and, and scout around and clean up this joint. And so it really is healing your body physically to work on your joy. And that's empowering, I think, because people often say, well, yeah, it's, it's nice to have your friends be supportive of you during a cancer journey. That's nice. And it's, right. it's good to have a laugh once a day. That's, that makes life nicer. Well, I'm here to say, this is not about making life nicer. I'm talking about actually popping your cancer cells. That five minutes of laughter will lead to more cancer cells being popped. And so um, when people say, well, what can I do for my friend who has cancer? I feel so helpless. I say, just let them know you love them. Let them right. know you're thinking of them. And that's not just gonna make their day nicer. That's literally going to increase their natural killer cells. You are going to help their bodies fight cancer by sending that funny voicemail. And um, I just love knowing the science behind that because it makes it all seem um, really worthy of working on these things. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things to drink. It's bone broth. And I have to tell you, I'm relatively new to the whole bone broth game. But one of the reasons I started drinking bone broth is when I had cancer, I had a really hard time keeping food down, getting enough protein. And quite honestly, I had so much inflammation going on in my body. I was really looking for something that was nutritious. Again, I could really get a lot of protein out of and would be really soothing to my gut. So I jumped headlong into bone broth 
And one of the things I love about bone broth is that there's so much gelatin and collagen in it. Studies show that gelatin is beneficial to restoring strength to the gut lining, and it can help to fight food sensitivities. And then bonus, it helps to grow probiotics in your gut, the probiotic bacteria, which is what we really want, which helps to really boost immune system. So I have to tell you about my favorite bone broth, which is from ButcherBox. What I love about it is it's got three ingredients, organic chicken, organic carrots, and filtered water. That is it. I love it so much. I drink it in the afternoon to kind of give me an energetic boost. I drink it in the morning. I drink it on cold days. Honestly, it's just one of my favorite products. Okay, so when I was telling ButcherBox about how much I love their chicken bone broth, they gave it amazing deal to my listeners. It's actually a deal that they've never even created before. And here's their deal. Chicken bone broth for free for an entire year. It's crazy. They've actually, as I said, they've never done a deal like this before. And then bonus, you get $20 off your first box. So go to the link in my show notes, click the link, use the code ENOS. You'll get $20 off your first box and free bone broth for an entire year. I love it inside our body. We have a pharmacy, as you just mentioned, and there's no cancer drug on the market right now that will do what your body can do, it sounds like. I mean, you've got, you can just drip this oxytocin and endorphins and relax, I mean, all day long. Yeah. By surrounding yourselves with good situations and happy people and maybe not watching the news and all of those things. But I will say that... um, you have to work on happiness. You really you really do need to, to cancel some things and remove some things from your life. And as you said earlier, curate the people in your life. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's there's something important here I want to share with your listeners, which is it's there's a little bit of a double-edged sword here when we talk about this, because yes, happiness leads to healing. Feelings mm-hmm. of joy, peace, if they're genuine. Um, if they're not just faking it and underneath is fear. If they are genuine, they do lead to um, a stronger immune system. We know that. It's a fact. But some people can take that message and say, oh, my God, I have to feel happy all the time. And if I don't, I'm contributing to my cancer still being here. And I can't feel any ounce of stress. That will make my disease process last longer. And That is a message I want to just stop right in its tracks and say, you don't have to feel happy all the time. Radical remission survivors certainly don't. For some of them, they go through months and years of depression and fear. So they, many of them are feeling scared, terrified most of the day. What they have in common is that they all take at least a five minute break to short circuit that stress chemistry. So you don't need to force yourself, especially if it's forcing and then because then it's not even genuine. It's not even really activating that inner pharmacist. You don't need to force yourself to feel happy all the time. You don't need to worry that, you know, a day or a month or a year of feeling scared and depressed is going to kill you because radical remission survivors went through that. They went through those those years of fear. And while they were going through that, they made sure to work on their happiness at least once a day, and they found something that worked for them, whether it was watching funny cat videos on YouTube for five minutes or 
you know, calling up their hilarious friend and saying, distract me for five minutes. Tell me, tell me about your crazy life. Um, or taking a break from, from scary news, right? Whatever they needed to do to just pause the stress cycle for at least five minutes a day, that's what they have in common. So we're not talking about 24 seven. If you can, for five minutes a day, interrupt the cortisol cycle, the stress cycle, you will be acting like a radical remission survivor. I love that. And I love that it's five minutes a day um, because during my cancer season, I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and be ha- you know, having a happy dream. And then all of a sudden I wake up and think, oh crap, I have cancer. And then it would start this cascade of, oh my gosh, am I going to have to do chemo? Like all the things. But to just take five minutes, and I, actually my acupuncturist told me that. She said, just like go rest for five minutes. It just helps to reset your nervous system, focus on your breathing, maybe, you know, go online, read a funny joke. Just there are things and it doesn't take long to do the reset. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Five yeah. minutes can honestly be enough. I know one radical mission survivor who, especially in the, the first, you know, nine months of of going from stage four to what ended up being remission, those first nine months were just complete doubt, complete fear, complete terror. And the way that she short-circuited it for five minutes a day was crosswords. She was like, I'm not going to think about my cancer. I'm going to do the crossword. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put on some nice music. And I'm just not going to think about cancer. I'm just going to think about this crossword puzzle. And... That, you know, for her, crossword puzzles weren't stressful. They were fun and challenging, but not in a stressful way. And that was enough to get her out of that sympathetic surge, right? That sympathetic nervous system, uh, which what we're trying to get out of. We're trying to spend more and more time in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and repair mode. So whether it's, you know, crossword puzzles or lighting a candle and breathing deeply for five minutes or, you know, going to the local animal shelter and spending a half hour a day with cute dogs who just want love and cuddles. Find the thing that's going to be at least five minutes a day of not being in a stressful circuitry. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And five minutes is doable, even if you're tired from chemo or yeah. all the other things. And um, yeah, baby steps. Yes, Absolutely. So I know we're wrapping up, but I have one final question for you. Um, what has your research shown about a spiritual connection and radical remission? Well, developing a spiritual connection practice is one of the 10 common healing factors among radical remission survivors. So notice I don't call it um, being spiritual or mm-hmm. having a religious belief. The, I chose the words very carefully because I'm studying people from all around the globe across right. all different uh, races and religions and, and ethnicities and across all cancer types. So I have seen radical remissions from people who were atheist, people who were agnostic, people who were Catholic, people who were Christian, Jewish, um, Muslim, you name it, right? Radical remissions happen across all types of people. But what I noticed as one of the 10 common things is that they were all developing a spiritual connection practice that led to a very significant change in both the physical sensations in their body and the emotional sensations in their body. So, you know, and and maybe, uh, you know, a critic uh, would probably look at my work and say, well, why did you call it spiritual connection? Because that implies, you know, 
how, how can an atheist or an agnostic have a spiritual connection practice? Um, and I'm, I'm open to that feedback and I'm open to that criticism. But here's how I define it in my books. Radical remission survivors talk about doing something every day, whether that's prayer or meditation or running or painting or gardening, something that allows their thoughts to quiet. And when you turn off that monkey mind, when you shift out of the frontal cortex and you have an absence of thought, there is a extreme, extremely significant shift in your body's physiology. And we, of course, know this by studying meditators, right? Um, when people start meditating in the beginning and they report like, oh, yeah, I had a monkey mind for the good, you know, five, 10 minutes there. We can literally see on the fMRI output machines when their brains change to that period of thoughtlessness. And it's incredible when you're sitting in that deep state of prayer or state of meditation or state of, we can just call it relaxation, the brain changes. And when the brain changes, your immune system changes. So radical vision survivors absolutely developed this you know, we can call it a quiet practice or a stillness practice or a peace practice, but it was something that they did every day, right? This is different than watching a funny video and belly laughing, right? That's wonderful circuitry too, right? That's flooding your body with this oxytocin and the serotonin. That's important too, but this they described differently. And we know scientifically that it has a different chemical effect on the body. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very powerful, the chemical effect that it has on your body. So a spiritual connection practice is anything that allows your thoughts to go silent, your breathing to become slower. So um, your body feels calm. Physically, you're going to feel uh, relaxed. Like physically with your body, you're going to feel relaxed. You're going to feel like your breathing is deeper. What's happening mentally and emotionally is, obviously I said your thoughts are, are going to quiet, but also emotionally people talk about feeling a peace wash over them. Sometimes mm. they describe it as love imbued light coming into them. Mm. So they describe whenever they're doing this practice and sometimes it's running, like I said, sometimes it's just running or yoga. They feel, um, Peace and sometimes happiness, sometimes joy. Often the word that I hear most often is peace. Just washing through them, like soaking them with peace. With every breath, more peace, more stress leaving, more peace entering. Um, so that's how radical mission survivors describe their spiritual connection practices and um, just incredibly vital for their recovery. And we know scientifically that, you know, for example, they took one of my favorite studies on meditation. They took people who had never meditated before, taught them briefly how to meditate and said, just do this 30 minutes a day. After six weeks, they'd turned off their oncogenes, turned off their cancer genes. Six weeks, they've turned off their cancer genes with very little training on how to meditate. Oh my gosh. Exactly. And they had never meditated before. And 30 minutes is a long time to sit there. And, and the you know, the first, speaking from experience here, for someone who never used to meditate and then meditated uh, after doing this research, um, it can be very hard those first seven to 10 days, especially for half an hour. You're so uncomfortable. Right. Your back's hurting. Your mind just is screaming at you to just stop this silly thing. Um, but at some point, your mind stops fighting and your body stops resisting and you do relax into that, you know, lake of peace and it doesn't surprise me that we can turn on health-promoting genes in six weeks because 
it's a powerful, it's a powerful shift to, to invite your body to do right. And you have to do it. You have to sit there. You have to sit there and do the deep breathing and bring your mind back. No, come back to the breath. Nope. Don't think about the grocery list. Come back to the breath. You have to quote unquote work at getting to this state of peace, meaning you have to commit to it. You have to be dedicated, disciplined, and you have to force yourself to sit there for 30 minutes, but just knowing that 30 minutes a day for six weeks can lead to, to oncogenes, cancer genes being unexpressed or turned off. Uh, and it's free. Right. Why wouldn't you sit in prayer for 20 minutes a day or sit in meditation a day? It's free. It's incredibly powerful for your your whole body system. I'm not surprised it came up over, over and over again in, in the people that I study. And I am resistant to meditation because I just think, well, I don't have time to take a class. I don't have time to, you know. And so I come up with all of these wonderful excuses, Dr. Turner. But in reality, it sounds like in this group that was studied, they had very little training. Yeah, so they just taught them how to meditate and let them go have at it. Right, yeah. And, and meditation is nothing more complicated than sitting down, closing your eyes if that feels comfortable, focusing on your breath, and when your mind wanders, come back to the breath. And you can count. You can count one on the inhale, two on the exhale. And just, it sounds incredibly boring and incredibly pointless to someone who's never experienced the physiological benefits of it. But I promise you, and this is based not only on the research of, of hundreds of my colleagues and also the 1,500 case studies of radical remission, but also my personal experience. I, I came into meditation thinking, this isn't something my body can do. I'm not a meditator. I understand that it works for some people. It just doesn't work for me. It hasn't worked for me. And after, you know, after studying radical remission survivors and hearing this over and over again, I was like, I should really just, I should try it for 30 days. And I forced myself and it was horrible in the beginning. It was so uncomfortable. Um, but it, I promise you, there will be a point where you break through into this feeling of visceral peace and it's worth it. It's worth it. Wow. Who couldn't use, I love that expression, visceral peace. Right. And to know that after six weeks in this study, people turned off their, their oncogenes, their cancer genes. Okay. Well, I'm going to commit to you right now to start a 30-minute yoga practice. I, I I'm not maybe maybe I start with 10 minutes and I work my my way up to 30, but it sounds like you know, you kind of just need to make the daily commitment whatever that looks like. And then once you start to see some positive things happening, you probably add on. It's no different than working out, exercising your body, or like you, like we talked about earlier, working on happiness, like making that something mm -hmm. you work at. Um, mm -hmm. Meditation or, or developing your own spiritual connection practice, which is just however you can getting to that point of no thought, is something you have to work at. Because if you're in the habit of thinking all the time and letting your mind think, think, think all the time, it's gonna be hard at first. It's gonna be very hard. When I fall off the wagon and, and stop meditating, it's very similar to falling off the wagon of exercise. You know when you fall off oh. the wagon of exercise and then you're like, oh my God, I haven't really worked out in a month. And then you you go to the class or you go to the gym or you go out for a run and you're so sore and you're so tired and it's not fun yes. and it feels awful almost. You're just like, what? like you feel yes. out of shape, right? right? But we've all, perhaps not all of us, but I've been through that enough that I know these, this next week's going to kind of suck, <laughs> but I got to push through. I got to keep exercising and it's going to start feeling amazing in about a week. I found meditation to be the same thing. Um, okay. So it, it, 
if you if you haven't done it in a while, it will kind of suck at first. Um, up to like 15 days, it might be really sucky, um, uncomfortable, not pleasant, not not feeling beneficial. But just like getting back on the on the train of exercise, if you get back on the train of your spiritual connection practice, you will get to a point where you're like, oh, I've missed that feeling. I'm here. I'm in this place. I'm in this pool of peace. And it feels so good. Okay. I have interviewed a lot of people and talked to a lot of meditation coaches. And I have to tell you, this conversation has made the most sense to me. So thank you. I've been really resistant. I'm admitting it to meditation. I just, I'm not that person. I'll just, you know, I'll do my breathing for five minutes. And, you know, I think I need a little more than five minutes of, of focused breathing. So thank you. Well, why don't you try it for 30 days at 15 minutes a day and okay. shoot me an email and, and tell your podcast listeners how it went. Make I it will. I will. I love that. Thank you. And and it, what a great time of year to do it with the busyness and craziness that the holidays can bring and all of the, you know, bright lights and sounds and smells and all of that. It's it, it would be good to have a little more visceral peace. It will. Yeah. You're going to fight your monkey mind who says you don't have 15 minutes right now, Deborah. You don't like right. you don't even have like you're short on minutes. You're behind on all the things you have to do. Mm -hmm. So you're right. This is the time of year when we need that peace the most, but it might be the time where you fight your monkey mind the most because it's going to say, well, you're wasting your time here. This is a waste of time. That's At least that's what my monkey mind says sometimes. Yes, I can see mine do, doing the same thing. Um, but I, I'm going to commit. I'm committing right now to, to doing this. I'm going to start today. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Well, now that you said it out loud on a podcast, you're going to have to, you know... <laughs> I'm going to have to commit yeah. now. Oh, Dr. Turner, I um, I am just really moved, blown away, um, all the things by this conversation. Um, it's something I've been interested in for 30 years, and I love that you've you've taken that step to be, to be studying this for 15 years. You know, thousands of people. I love your docu series. And I'm going to tag everything in the show notes. Um, Dr. Turner's book, Radical Remission, is amazing. Radical Hope is her second book. And then she's got an amazing docu-series on Hay House, correct? Is the, is the venue where it's yeah, hosted? It's, hosted, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, streaming on their website at the moment, yeah. But if you just go to RadicalRemission.com, you can find all the resources, the books, the docuseries. Great. Yeah, just one simple website, RadicalRemission.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you again, Dr. Turner. You have just made my day, and I just, I feel so happy right now. So look at my endorphins kicking in. A little serotonin <laughs> for you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Deborah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening.